Hello, language hackers. Benny here, welcoming you to episode 11 of the Language Hacking Podcast. In this episode, Shannon and I interview a good friend of mine, Matt Kepnes, founder of Nomadic Matt. If you've ever wondered how to fit traveling to your budget so you can use your languages where they're spoken, you'll find a lot of value in the tips that Matt shares. Matt shares his experience living abroad, traveling for $50 or less a day, and how to have real conversations in the local language, even if you're a complete beginner. It's a little different to our usual interviews about language learning, so I hope it's something you'll enjoy. And speaking of enjoying the podcast, thanks again to everyone who's left a review recently. It makes a big difference and helps us reach a wider audience. If you're finding this podcast interesting or helpful, please let us know what's working for you at languagehacking.com review. We really appreciate hearing from you and we read every review. The links and resources mentioned in this episode can be found at languagehacking.com slash 11. Now, on to travel hacking and our interview with Matt Kepnes. Welcome to the Language Hacking Podcast from Fluent in Three Months. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Language Hacking Podcast. I'm here today with my co-host, Shannon. Hello. And we are interviewing a very, very good friend of mine, Matt Kepnes, also known as Nomadic Matt. And uh, he is extremely experienced as a traveler. And can you tell us a little bit about your background, Matt? Well, you know, I, <clears throat> I was born on a bright Irish day. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I started traveling when I was, how old was I, 23. Uh, I went to um, Costa Rica and really fell in love with travel. Um, I loved sort of the, the randomness of it and the fact that, you know, every day could really be whatever you made it to be. There was no structure to it. And I just, I liked knowing that anything was possible versus the nine to five, you know, not in the, uh, of the job I had. Um, then I started traveling more long story short in 2006, I took a, a year and a half trip around the world. Uh, came back, hated working at a cubicle again. So just decided to go travel again. Um, went back to Thailand where I was teaching English, started teaching English again. It really was just the goal of just traveling as long as I could. Um, there's no grand plans to create a blog or a career in travel. I just didn't want to really have a traditional job. Here we are 12 years later. Um, I turned that uh, little personal blog into uh, the company that it is today with, you know, five employees and a bunch of different stuff going on and lots of content and a large audience. Never really planned for it, but here we are. Yeah, and it's one of the uh, the go-to resources for budget travel on the internet. And as well as that, you have a New York Times best-selling book about how to travel on the budget. Yes, I do. It's called uh, How to Travel the World on $50 a Day, um, which is a rolling average um, for your trip total. Not like every day you'll spend 50 bucks. You know, sometimes you'll spend more, sometimes you'll spend a lot less. 
I wanted to ask you about that trip to Costa Rica that you took. You said you were 23. And I think for a lot of people, they would feel like that's a little bit of an older age to start traveling. So I'm curious to know what led to that trip and um, what about that trip kind of led you into what you're doing today? Uh, I don't think it was it's too old. Um, but you know, my family never was big in travel. Most of our trips were just to resorts or visit my family, theme parks, uh, relatives, you know, all that stuff. Um, in college, I was just too broke to go do any sort of spring break uh, study abroad trip. Uh, so no wild days in Cancun was way out of the budget. Probably my friends were too broke, so they never really went anywhere. So it wasn't until I had a job that paid the bills and had, came with two weeks of vacation time, you know, paid time off, um, that I could afford to, you know, to go travel. And it was like, well, what do you do? You're an adult. You have a job. You have vacation. You're supposed to take vacation. So I went to Costa Rica. Um, it was cheap. I found a tour. Um, it looked pretty safe. And I was like, all right, well, let's go try it out. Uh, you know, it's, um, that was really, I forget how I found that tour to Costa Rica. I mean, clearly Googling somewhere on the web, but details are escape me so many years later yeah and one one thing i um i wanted to really emphasize for people i think especially when it comes to the title of your book how to travel on 50 dollars a day this really breaks into a mindset that is very hard for a lot of people to wrap their heads around that one reason mm -hmm. a lot of people wouldn't go abroad whether it be uh to get to know the country or for a language immersion experience is because they imagine it to be incredibly expensive, that you need to have saved up tens of thousands of dollars in the bank, or that you need to um, have some other unrealistic thing that they just imagine is completely out of their grasp. So what do you say to people who envision the idea of going abroad as financially impossible? Uh, when you find... When you travel, you find out that the world isn't as expensive as you think it is. Um, you know, we've, I'd like a lot of that as just cultural memory of a life before the internet really made travel accessible and affordable with all these, you know, sharing economy websites and flight deals and, you know, websites that will can hunt down cheap accommodation. Um, you know, that sort of collective memory... Uh, the media, movies, you know, magazines, you really portray travel as this escape and this luxury and this, you know, this thing that costs money. Um, but, you know, when you go to places and you're eating at local markets and taking public transportation and just you know, even staying in an Airbnb, uh, if you don't want to go all the way to hostel or couch surfing, and you find that, oh, wait, it's, it's kind of just like your day-to-day -day life, you know? Um, yes, it can be a little bit more expensive, but it can also be cheaper, you know? If you're traveling around Southeast Asia and spending 30 bucks a day for everything, um, that's probably a lot less than the cost of living you have back home. So I think once you start looking at costs and researching online, you realize that, sort of collective memory hangover we have about travel being so expensive and how you can never afford it 
just doesn't hold water anymore. You know, I mean, you and I started traveling, you know, in the early mid two thousands, and you know, when you, when you think about that, you know, well, there was no Airbnb then. Uh, there were no Scott's cheap flights or all these points hacking websites. Uh, none of that existed, but yet it was still manageable. So having been to all of these different places like Costa Rica, and then you mentioned that you taught English in Thailand, I'm guessing that you've probably taken the time to pick up some of the languages for the places that you've been to. Yeah. Um, when I lived in Thailand, I, I learned Thai. Um, I, I, try, I made an attempt to learn Thai. Uh, but, and then I learned a bit of Swedish when I lived there and I've been slowly trying to master French, but I just can never get ahead of it. Um, but I just enjoy the painful process. It's a nice language to, to, to try with. And I'm actually curious because you, um, recently enough, I, I forget if it was last year or the year before, that you had uh, quite a long stay in Paris. So what would you say would have been the challenges that you ran into uh, that would have prevented you from moving further with your French? Uh, I think part of the problem with uh, French is the way language is taught in France is very much about grammatical perfection. Um, I mean, you, you spent a lot of time there. I mean, and so you might know better than me, but I walked away with the impression based on talking to friends about how they learn languages that in school, it's a lot of, you have to say it perfectly or you don't say it at all. And then there's no, like, you know what I'm saying? kind of thing in France. If it's the wrong word, it's the wrong word and they sort of jump on you for it. You know, um, you know, so it's like, you know, this thing, you know, it's, it's, you know, let's say it's a tea kettle. Well, you know, no, we don't call it a tea kettle. I know what the word is. Um, I know what you're trying to say, but you didn't use the right word. And so I think as, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think as adults then, when you're trying to speak French to, to people, even at places I went to consistently when I lived there that were like my local spots, they don't really like to humor your bad French. They would just rather speak in English than listen to you butcher French. And I think in part, that also because like French language, you know, there's a lot of pride in it. So listen to people butcher it is really tough. Now my friends, they would, they humor me. Uh, but I think in, in restaurants, I would, you know, really try and I, I would always get responses in English and I tried back in French and I'd get responses in English. And it's like, yo, man, I come to this cafe like three times a week. Just, just try, you know? Um, so I always found that was difficult. Uh, they didn't really want to like work with you. Um, whereas in Thailand, um, they would humor you a lot. It, you know, they would... It would kind of coach you to be like, no, that's not how you say it. You want to say it this way. Same thing when like Spanish speaking countries, there's a lot more humor, humor and willingness to, to try. So um, also when I learned Swedish, I found the same thing too. I, I would always make attempts to learn Swedish and people would just come back at me in English with the yeah. whole, it's easier to speak English than it is for you to try to speak Swedish. So what, what I found with, um, with French in particular is it's not actually necessarily the French people themselves that would refuse to uh, respond to you. It's a very uniquely Parisian thing. And I found that once I got far enough outside of Paris to other cities, 
there was a similar level of patience to where I'd find in the likes of Spain and so on. And there is this sense of the, the French that you learn in school tends to be Parisian French. There's a, a sense of pride in it. So I actually recommend whenever people ask me um, about learning French and traveling to a country, I actually, the, the first things I say is don't go to Paris. Like mm -hmm. go to Paris when your level is good, but don't go to Paris to learn French uh, because you do, you do unfortunately have to have a higher level for them to be patient for you. And it's one of the few places in the world I've ever found it to be like that, which is uh, uh, very interesting. And it's unfortunate because it does suck away the motivation from some people. Uh, I, mean, that, that, I mean, that would explain it as I was in, in Paris. That's good to know the next time I go back. Mm -hmm. That's actually something I wanted to ask you. So despite all of this going on, you were still continuing to study the language. So I'm curious to know what some of your tactics were for maintaining your motivation while going through that process. I just find, I mean, personally, I find French to be a very beautiful language. So I just wanted to learn it. You know, I love the idea of being able to speak French. So even if I will never master it, I just love the idea that I'm willing to sit there and just continuously try to butcher the language until I get there. Uh, you know, I had a weekly tutor um, that was really helpful. So I don't like traditional language classes. Um, I, I don't want to like, go through, I mean, I do want to go, you know, grammar and all that. They're just, it, it was nice to have somebody, you know, just to be able to ask questions like, because what I want to know is I want to have a conversation. So I don't need to know. You know, I, I started with Alliance Francais, uh, and I just didn't like their class. It was, you know, a lot of, they started it in a way that was not helpful. Um, you know, I figured if I'm going to take a language class, it's going to be like, okay, here's the alphabet, and then here's basic grammar. And they just, they started with, like, jumping into phrases. And I was like, I, I don't even know how to say your alphabet. Um, so it was nice to have a, a, a language tutor who could just sort of work at the level I wanted. And um, that, that for me was enough just to have someone be like, okay, I went to the laundromat this weekend and I, I couldn't figure out how to say this phrase. And then like sort of role play that scenario. Yeah, and I, um, I, I like that you had that tutor and it's one thing I always recommend to people this one-to-one -one, um, association with somebody who's uh, specifically helping you with what is uh, what your major weaknesses are, and traditional classes don't tend to be as handy. I've uh, I've taken classes in the Alliance Francaise myself, and it's I find it was useful specifically for passing a particular exam. So it is a very academic way of teaching the language, but. Um, like, I'm also very curious to hear how your uh, experience with Thai was, because that, as you said, was a little bit different. So when you originally went to Thailand, how, how did that go? That was good. And just for a comment on Alliance Francais, you know, they, they put you in this class and they're like, okay, start saying like this conversation. And then you have to talk to your fellow students who are also butchering the pronunciation. I'm like, I don't want to pick up your, you know, your, your wrong tone. Like I want to get it from a native, like, mm -hmm. so, and I, I got the private tutor and I got the private tutor in Thailand too. You know, I, 
I, it was just a lot better. And um, I actually found learning Thai pretty easy because, yeah, the tones are hard, but a lot of it comes through context. Um, so people, uh, again, more forgiving. And I learned in Bangkok where you think they'd be, you know, if, if it was like Paris, they'd be unforgiving, but they were pretty forgiving. Um, and so once you sort of got sentence structure down, it was pretty much about placing words. Like you, they don't have verbs, you know? Um, there's no prepositions. It's, it's not like I am tired. It's just I tired, right? So, you, you know, there's no, there's very little past, future, you know, future imperfect. They don't have all that. So once you get a few basic things down, it's really easy um, to sort of pick it up. And even if your tone's not right, you know, like the word for rice, you know, can also mean white newspaper or knee, depending on the tone. But like, if you're at a restaurant and you're like, can I have some white rice? Like they know you're not, you didn't ask for like newspaper rice. They know what you're trying to say. Um, so that was very helpful. And having a, again, a tutor um, is very helpful. And I also think, um, to continue the labor of this point, but Thai is so difficult that Thais when you can speak a little bit are just fascinated by that. And they just want to tell you as much, like as many words as possible because they're just like, fascinated by the fact that you even made an attempt to learn their language. You mentioned that a tutor has been one of your greatest resources while learning these languages. Is there anything else that you found really helpful as you study new languages? Any other tools or resources? Uh, I, I like podcasts. Um, I started with Coffee Break French and Coffee Break Spanish. Um, I think, I think there's a, that's a Scottish guy that does it. He's stealing your thing, Benny. Um, He's a friend of mine. But, oh, is it? Well, yeah. Well, tell him I like his stuff. Mm -hmm. um, he's really good with accents and like that, like the rolling R is something I can't do at all. Um, and then, you know, I, I like watching, when I was in Thailand, I listened to a lot of Thai music. Um, so that helps. So music and, and podcasts and just, you know, like you say, Ben, just practice, practice, practice. Don't be afraid to fail. Absolutely. And um, one thing that you have also written about in your blog that I think uh, has, has helped you to get through these initial difficult communication stages has been the nonverbal side of communication. So I'm very curious to hear um, what, what you have to say on that. So when you've gone to countries where you have not been able to communicate in their language, and maybe you've met people who don't speak English. Um, how does nonverbal communication work to, to help you to convey a point? Well, I mean, as you know, most communication is nonverbal. I mean, it's, you know, facial expressions, body language, um, eye contact. That, that conveys a lot about how people are really feeling and, and in what they're thinking. And so, you know, if... Getting, that's why, you know, getting angry is, is, is useless. But, you know, we all know that the sound of a train is like choo-choo, right? Like, that's sort of like a universal thing. And so when I was in Ukraine, you know, I was trying to get a taxi to the, the train station, hostile order, because, like, 
we'll do it. They're not going to understand English. And so I get in there and I sit down and the car doesn't go anywhere because uh, I assume that they, the hostel told them where I needed to go, which is, you know, saving me this language issue. Uh, but they did not. And so when I started studying train station, the guy looked at me and like, I, you know, had three heads and I was just like, choo-choo. And he was like, ah, yeah, okay. And he knew where I wanted to go because we, that, you know, that kind of stuff is universal. Cluck, cluck for chicken. Um, so like charades goes a long way. I think, you know, pointing at stuff, uh, like if you have a map can be really helpful. Um, and, and just sort of, and then you can sort of gauge if they understand you or not. And you can try to you know, change how you're phrasing that problem. Um, you know, like, so I mean, for me, charades is like a long way, like you know, taxi is a universal word, right? So if you always say taxi, they're like, okay, I, I get it. But like train, choo-choo, um, plane, you know, vroom, you know, do the plane thing. Um, chicken, cluck, cluck. And, and then I, so I think, you know, that could, that goes a real long way. And, and, and moving a conversation forward when you have no common language. Right. I mean, one mistake I see that you probably see all the time is, you know, you, you, and I catch myself doing that. It's like, you're like train station and they look at you and you're like train station as if slowing down is going to make them understand the words you don't, they didn't know in the first place. Yeah. And it's, um, uh, it's interesting that even if, uh, uh, let's say on a, on I can never say that word, the words that sound like what they're representing, even if they're slightly different, you could still do the visuals yourself. Like if, if it's not cluck cluck, then you would still like try to wave your arms like they're wings. And if, they're, if it's maybe they're not understanding choo-choo, you could like, you know, pull the, the thing that makes the train actually traditional old tra trains to go choo-choo. So this is absolutely something I've done um, either even unconsciously and sometimes consciously when I, I'm not conveying what I want with the words rather than escaping and finding a dictionary somewhere. You can express it somehow through your body if you're imaginative enough, if you especially rely on things that are likely to mm -hmm. be universal. And it's been a great way for me to learn vocabulary as well, that I'll be out and about. I don't know how to say train and I might, I might very well go choo-choo and they would say, oh, you mean uh, gah or whatever the, the word might be. So uh, that's definitely been effective. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, simple things like that go a long way. I mean, nowadays, you know, we, we can just Google something on our phone um, and try it, but that takes the fun out of it. Aside from using nonverbal communication to kind of understand and communicate things that are cross-cultural or maybe are understood in a more general sense, I know that in living in some of these places, there's probably some really unique cultural situations that you've been in and things that you've needed to learn to kind of function in that place. So in learning like Thai, for example, when you're living right. in Thailand, uh, the cultural immersion that you experienced, did, like, did you find that that helped you learn the language more or? Or would you say that like what you were doing on your own independently was really what contributed to you being able to learn the language? I think being in a place definitely helps because you're, you're hearing words all the time. You're, you're, you're reading signs. You know, I mean, you'd walk, I would walk and I'd be like, Oh, I know what that movie poster says. 
um, I'd be able to understand the words. And, and when I didn't know it, having, cause you don't know what you don't know. And so you don't know what you're, you don't know what you're going to need until you start having day-to-day conversations with people. And you're like, Oh, you know, I don't know how to have this conversation. So then I would take it back to my tutor to be like, again, you know, like the laundromat thing. Like I went to go get my laundry uh, dry clean and I didn't know how to have this conversation. And so being in the culture definitely was helpful because you just sort of have this osmosis um, where your brain just sort of just, you know, in the background learns all these words and phrases and gets better at understanding the tone and pronunciation and hearing words um, often enough where they just sort of click in. You're like, ah, I know that. Um, so, I mean, I think immersion is definitely really important and it can and really helps you make vast strides in, in language learning. Oh, do you start to learn languages before you travel to the places or do you wait until you're there to really immerse yourself in them? I've done both. Um, but mostly when I'm there, uh, I usually tend to only learn languages for places I'm going to stay at a really long time. Uh, and so when, when that is the case, I, I tend to try it when I'm there. Uh, you know, I, I take a guidebook with me and, you know, and sort of before I go anywhere and just jot down, you know, hello, goodbye, thank you. Where's the toilet? How, you know, give me the check, you know, where's, can I get the beer? That kind of important stuff. Um, but in sort of, do I want to learn this language? It's really only if I'm going to be there long enough. And when um, considering the large amount of uh, the vast number of countries that you visited, um, I'm sure you really enjoy cultural immersion. So whether you know the language or not, to get a truly unique experience in the country to get to know its food and its history and its people. Um, what advice would you give to people who might feel int- intimidated and might be um, uh, like a little shy and, and not as outgoing? How w- what would you recommend for them to try to get a little bit of immersion in the local culture when they travel? Uh, I would definitely look into meetup.com. Um, you know, if you love you know, let's say jazz, and you're in a fairly decent sized city, you might find a local jazz club. And, you know, that's something you can bond over. Um, they might, you know, let's kiss it, a lot of jazz is in English, you know, that they might know some English. Uh, I look at couch surfing groups. Couch surfing is amazing. There's, there's lots of uh, meetup groups and language exchange groups that happen in cities, you know, small towns all around the world. And so they can be a really good use to meet local people, get a sense of local culture, um, you know, maybe pick up a few language skills. Uh, So those are like two of my go-tos for um, that. Uh, But you have Eat With, which is a site that allows you to do um, like a a food exchange where you can go to someone's house and, and eat food um with them and that can be a way to just ask people about like what's life like in this place so a lot of these social um you know sharing economy apps can can really help you meet people and they've made it so much easier to meet uh people than than before so i think it's actually 
one of the easiest times nowadays because you have all these apps and you have all these websites whose sole goal is to help you meet people in the destination you're at. We like to ask all of the guests that we have on the podcast, given that this is the language hacking podcast, what language hacking means for them. So I'm curious to know in your experience, what has language hacking been for you? For me, I would say language hacking, uh, you know, is about smart learning. Um, you know, hacking always has a negative connotation. I don't want to see, say like fast learning because I'm not a fast learner, but I think it's using sort of like, you know, non-obvious tips to accomplish learning faster. Like, oh, like, you know, you want to learn a language, check out Meetup or Couchsurfing. Um, I think like travel, uh, maybe a lot of traditional language, language learning to people is, you have to take a class, okay, or, you know, um, something along that lines, whereas it could be listen to music, um, try these meetup groups, uh, you know, go talk to cabbie, try a podcast. So I, I, you know, I think for me, anything that's sort of like, whether it's travel hacking or language hacking, it's doing something outside what people view as the only way to do it. And um, one, I wanted to hear if you had any uh, encouraging words for people considering um, at the moment, a lot of us are in lockdown and we're going to be, um, we're not going to be able to travel for the short term, but then very soon we will be. And I think uh, there's going to be an adjustment period where it's safe to travel, but people are going to feel intimidated and especially they're going to feel like it's, um, it's not within their budget. So do you have any words of encouragement for someone who maybe might have a bucket list item of traveling to a country and is feeling intimidated by that idea? And when the time comes for it to be safe to do so, what would you say to encourage them? You know, the world will wait for us. Um, I think, you know, in a few months, we'll have a clearer picture of when the world will open up again. And, And I think that, you know, it will be safe to travel. There will be treatments and vaccines. Um, and moreover, you know, there's going to be a lot of travel deals out, out there. And so it will be cheaper to travel as, as so many countries are trying to find just ways to, so many companies uh, and countries too, in a way, fill, fill their coffers again and, and, you know, survive and, and, and not go bankrupt. And so um, I think, it's going to be fine to travel. Um, if you're really worried about you know, getting stuck somewhere or whether or not you're going to like face a quarantine or anything like that, uh, consider local travel. You know, go around your country or like, you know, a country next door or just if you're in the States, your state. You know, there's a lot of local travel that can be done. So many people think of travel as like getting on this plane and going you know, far, far away. But if you take the view that travel is really just experiencing somewhere new, that somewhere can be anywhere. It can be the town next door. Absolutely. And even, even when it comes to learning another language, I've used quite a lot of Spanish in California. I've used French in New Orleans. And I've used American Sign Language in uh, Texas and in D.C. 
in each one of those areas, there's a large collection of uh, people who are able to use those languages with you. So you don't necessarily even need to leave the country to get some form of language immersion. No, no. I mean, it's, you know, here in the States, I mean, we speak every language um, in certain parts. Um, but you can always find something. And I think, again, this goes back into, I guess, the hacking thing. You know, try to look for the things that aren't so obvious. And, and this is where all these websites come in really handy because everything is online nowadays. And you can always find something. Very good. Well, I guess, what would your, your top tips for budget travel be in a nutshell? You know, my, my top tips for budget travel uh, would be use the sharing economy. Uh, these websites can really connect you with locals uh, and get you off the beaten path. And when you get off the tourist trail, that's when you find the best deals. Um, look for deal websites like Scotch Cheap Flights, Momondo, uh, Holiday Pirates. So there's always travel deals going. Um, and always think about local travel. You know, if you can't afford a trip to Japan right now, what about the next state over? Uh, you know, what about something regional or, um, or just, you know, within your country? I mean, there's always some place that's on sale. Um, and so the other thing I would say is be flexible with where you're going. You know, if, if you can't find a good deal to Japan, but you find an amazing deal to Italy, well, go to Italy instead. You know, Japan can be the trip after. Um, as long as you're flexible with where you'll go, you can always find some great deal because there's always deals. Great, thank you. Um, do you have any current projects that you're working on now that you'd like to mention? Um, we are launching a, a new community thing um, called the Nomadic Network. Uh, it's a forum meetup group, um, though, no, though we can't actually meet in person at the moment, um, but we are doing virtual meetups. Uh, and we also started a, a Patreon that where people can get um, free books, access to our events, as well as exclusive blog posts and travel tips that we only share to Patreon users. And that's at uh, patreon.com backslash nomadmat. Uh, but those are the two big things we have going right now. Yeah, and the, um, the meetup groups that you have, even though they're virtual at the moment, they are, they're very strong per city. So it, it would actually be a very good opportunity for people to get to know others who are interested in travel who live in the same city as them. And even if they're not going to necessarily meet up with them in the immediate future, it is definitely good to have a, a friend in the same city as you to be able to discuss and um, like to share ideas and to swap plans about uh, traveling further. And like you said, people could, should be open to local travel. I think it can be uh, a very big jump to do something like move to Japan. And if you uh, tried to just test the waters by traveling somewhere close by, you start to see the challenges that you face and you can get on top of them ahead of a potential bigger move. Uh, like going to Japan or like you said, an intermediary, like if it's easier to go to Italy. So absolutely right. be flexible and being flexible is, the, is probably one of the biggest um, budget travel tips there is, you know, in terms of 
Like if people try to pick particular dates, they absolutely must travel by. That's going to restrict them to very high prices. Whereas if they're flexible, then uh, they'll see a bit, a bit of wiggle room. Yeah. Flexibility is the key to budget travel. Okay. Well, um, again, if anyone wants to check out Matt's stuff, that's Nomadic Matt. And he is definitely going to be the number one resource you want to use when the world open, opens up again, because I know money's going to be tight for a lot of people, but you absolutely can travel uh, very affordably. In many cases, you would actually save money by being in another country. Um, and I, I know I certainly have, and, and Matt has as well. And uh, it's going to be an interesting time because when the world opens up, there's going to be a lot of interesting, unique opportunities to travel to places for a price that wasn't possible before. So Matt's got loads of tips for that on his site and um, in his uh, communities. So absolutely check him out. And um, thanks, Matt, for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. And of course, if you're watching this or listening to this and you'd like to see all of the links and everything that we mentioned in this episode in one place, you can visit the show notes for this episode. Yeah, that's right. Okay. So thanks for joining us for another Language Hacking Podcast, everyone. And we'll see you in the next one. And until then, happy language learning. Happy language learning. Happy language learning. In this episode, Matt shares loads of useful tips for budget travel. Here are the top ones he mentioned. User sharing economy. These are networks like Couchsurfing and Airbnb. Look for deal websites. There are always deals going on and you can take advantage of them by being flexible in either your destination or travel dates. Consider local travel. You don't have to go far to experience travel. You can always go on a regional trip. Head to the next state or province over and there are always tons you can do within your own country. Be flexible with where you're going. Sometimes you may have a certain destination in mind, but if you're willing to head to another city or even another country entirely, there may be more affordable options out there. What about you? Share your budget travel tips with us over in the comments for this episode at languagehacking.com 11. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Language Hacking Podcast. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you found this episode valuable and want to help us out, please leave a review at languagehacking.com forward slash review. The Language Hacking Podcast is presented by Benny Lewis and Shannon Kennedy and produced by David Sobel, with special thanks to the Fluent in Three Months team. Theme music was written and performed by Shannon Kennedy. Find the show notes at languagehacking.com forward slash podcast. Thanks for listening and happy language learning.